Wendy and I were sat in Mr. Lube as our technician told us how to reset our oil change warning light. You see, we just had our oil changed, and um, the reason why we had our oil changed is because a couple of weeks before, the warning light came on in the car, and I didn't really want to go in, you know, to get it changed so soon, it seemed, after our last oil change, uh, and the car appeared to be running fine still, but then I remembered that we'd recently returned from a work trip over to New... New Brunswick, and so we'd actually put a lot of kilometers on the car in a short amount of time. And so Wendy and I found ourselves at the Mr. Lube over in Bive and driving out of the bay, confident that we were good for another 5,000 kilometers or whatever it's supposed to be. I just wait until the warning light comes on. And, uh, and then, of course, the little light and the warning noise was no longer there. And as human beings created in the image of God, uh, sometimes we need an oil change ourselves. We need to clean out the old stuff and we need to get the new stuff into us. We need to have a bit of an over overhaul from time to time. And so, you know, at this moment in time with 2018 ending and with 2019 starting, um, you know, it's that moment, of course, where we reflect and when we look ahead. And... For some of you, this next year is going to be the first year of the rest of your life. And for some of you this year, this will be a year that you remember for the rest of your life, life, either for good or for bad. And for some of us, this is going to be your last year here on earth. You, you won't make it to December the 30th, 2019. And so I think that this is a great time for us to invite Jesus to look under the hood of our lives and to see what he says. On uh, Christmas Eve, we took a brief look at how Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey as the Messiah. And I said that as we cry to God for help, which is the word Hosanna, he brings us happiness. He makes us people who are blessed. He brings deep joy into our lives uh, that circumstances or situations or stuff is not able to shake because this happiness, this joy is grounded in his character and in his promises and it's not grounded in what happens to be going on in our lives at the moment. And so after Jesus gets off the donkey, he goes on a little bit of a walkabout, as Mark 11, verse 11 tells us. It says that he went into the temple courts for a bit of a look-see. And in Mark 11, 11, we read that it says that he looked around at everything. But then he glanced at his smart sundial on his wrist, realized the time, and decided to call it a day. Now, we should view this visit in Mark 11:11 11, 11 as a bit of a reconnaissance mission because he comes back the very next day to do some serious house cleaning. But first, he has to get there 
over to the temple. And so he's en route there, and then there's this weird encounter with a fig tree, as Mark 11, 12 through 14 shows us, because this fig tree has leaves, but it has no fruit, it has no figs. And so Jesus actually curses the fig tree by saying, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then the next day, after going to the temple, in verse, verse maybe 20, I think it is, Jesus and his followers go up to the tree, and indeed they find that the fig tree is withered. So Jesus' curse has come true. Now, at first glance, it looks like Jesus is in a bit of a bad mood. Maybe he's a bit hangry. And so it looks like he's taking out his hanger on this poor tree. But in fact, these accounts of the fig tree are really necessary for us to understand what happens in between the cursing of the tree and the withering of the tree. You see, Jesus is making a point here. He's actually telling some sort of a parable. And what he's saying to us is that unfruitfulness will be eventually judged. Or we might say, if we're going with that story at the beginning, if you don't change your oil, then you're going to get into trouble later on. So don't ignore the warning light. This little story of this fruitless fig tree, of this figless fig tree, helps us to understand what happens next. So the question is, what happens next? Now we need to turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 15, to find out what happens next. And this is what it says. Verse 15 tells us, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, again, it looks like Jesus is in a, in a real rage fit here. But he's not. This isn't like maybe Carrie Underwood taking a Louisville slugger to both headlights. That's not what this is. This isn't a crime. This isn't, he, he's, he's, he's not suddenly sent over the edge. Each of these things that he, he did was full of meaning and premeditated. He flipped the tables of the money changers and the dove sellers and he said no to the carrying of merchandise through the temple. And this all has something that's linked with not bearing fruit, just like the fig tree. So first of all, Jesus responded like he did because the worship of God had turned into a bit of a cash cow. Worship was out and greed was in. There's this guy... Um, a Jewish historian called Josephus, who, 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 told us, who tells us that in AD 66, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple, okay? You see, for, for people who were traveling, you know, to the capital city, it was much easier if they were going to make a sacrifice for the Passover, it was much easier for them to, you know, to actually buy an approved animal from the temple rather than go to all the trouble of bringing their own sheep 
maybe dove, or whatever it was from a home, only to come to the temple and someone to say, actually, that's not up to the standards that we want, that we read in the book of Leviticus. And so, and so they would actually buy them there in the temple. And so Jesus is, is here turning over the tables of the dove sellers here in verse 15. Now, these birds were the animals that only the poorest of the poor were able to afford. And so the temple sellers, what would happen in those times is that the temple sellers would often mark up the prices by as much as 16, 16 times. So what would usually cost maybe 25 cents wholesale, they would have to buy for, for $4 retail. And anyone who's bought a hockey ticket off a scalper knows exactly what this feels like. And the money changers were doing exactly the same. Massive markups. Worship had been replaced by greed. Now, the next issue was worship out convenience in. Because what would happen is that the folks would use, you know, the temple complex as a shortcut through the temple mount. Uh, I think we can see it here. Okay, that's an example of what might have happened. You know, rather than walking around, you would walk through. And this holy place of worship had been turned into either into a short, into a chance to make quick money at the expense of others or to take a convenient shortcut. Worship was the last thing on, 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 on folks' minds. And so Jesus is there in the temple. He flings over tables because he's horrified at the lack of fruit of their empty worship. They are a figless fig tree. And, and, and as he's wreaking havoc, you know, if he walked in here and started flinging over pews and things, that, that would be considered wreaking havoc. And as he's wreaking havoc, it says in verse 17, as he taught them. He hasn't said a word as far as I know. He's just doing a lot of stuff. But it says, as he taught them. And what this shows us is that Jesus is not flying off the handle. He's actually teaching them. He wants them to be absolutely transformed. And this is what he teaches them. He says, is it not written, my house will, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And this was the clincher for Jesus. All of the shopping and the haggling and the money changing and the extortion, all this was taking place in the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place that the non-Jews could come and worship God in the temple complex. This was the only place that was set aside for the whole world to come and worship God. And this place had been stolen from them. They had been robbed. Now, we know that it is God's plan to give everyone in the world access to him. And we read this right back in the book of Isaiah chapter 56, where Jesus quotes from when, when he's saying this. Because what it says in, in, in Isaiah 56 is this. It says, foreigners who, 
who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. 56 verse 7. Their burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of the foreigners, will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus is referencing this. This was God's plan for the nations to worship them, worship him. But then Jesus also quotes yeah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verse 11, where he says this, Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? He asks that question, and then he goes on to say five words, But I have been watching. So the question is, what's a den of robbers? Well, it's nothing more and nothing less than a safe house for people who are criminals. So what would happen is, is after doing the crime, the robbers or the criminals would return back to their den of robbers. They would return home to their safe house. It's a place where they feel that they are safe from reprisal. And, and so Jesus is, is, is uh, absolutely shocked that these people who have robbed the world of their place to worship God feel that they are safe from any reprisals in the very place where the crime took place in the first place. Okay? You understand that? It's, it's hugely messed up. And so what the lesson is that, you know, that the Lord's trying to teach us is that the world has infiltrated worship. Worldly values um, have actually overtaken the worship of the Lord. These, these worldly values of greed and these worldly values of maybe convenience. And then we read in verse 18 that it's at this very moment that the chief priests and the teachers of the law begin to look for a way to murder him, to kill him, to move him out of the picture. They are afraid Jesus is threatening them. And what this shows us is that worship and the world are not able to coexist. It cannot coexist. We, we cannot have the world and worship. And when, and when Jesus starts to see the world move into his rightful place in our lives, he cannot just let it go. He cannot live and let live. He comes in to clean house. Because what, what worship is, and I think, you know, this is something which we miss in worship. You know, we think worship is singing and worshiping is loving God and worshiping is lifting him high. But worship also means regularly coming to Jesus and saying, come in and clean house. That's what worship is, saying to Jesus, come in and clean house. Now, if you're anything like me, Maybe you think, well, you know what? I can make things right with the Lord later on. I can get back on track later on. Later on, I'll move into a place of real worship. Um, later on, I can bear fruit. But what if later never comes? What if later never happens? It's, it, it's, it's like when you, you're a kid and your parents tell you, don't pull that silly face, because if the wind changes, then your face could, could get stuck like that, right? Well, what happens if that's true for our souls? What happens if our souls actually get stuck like that? You see, what happens is we 
make a little compromise here and we allow a little sin in there. And we're always counting on that hope that later we will have an opportunity to repent and make things right again. But what we don't realize is that as we keep on willfully sinning, the desire to repent gets less and less and less. And then we end up, you know, actually questioning whether God is a God of judgment anyways, because if he was, then surely he'd have already done something by now, right? And so our hearts become hard, and the God who's worthy of our worship, who's holy and awesome, has been replaced by a God of our own making, a God who winks, you know, at our little peccadillos and our funny little ways. We, we trade a powerful God for a God who's a puppet, a God that we actually control ourselves. We trade the truth of God for a lie. We worship the creature rather than the creator. And so in that place of worship that's supposed to fill us with awe and the fear and the love of God, it instead becomes a place where we hide out and we feel safe hiding out. Worship, uh, sorry, church can actually become our robber's den. We trade the mountain-moving life of faith-filled prayer for a life of simply trying to get by on our own and doing right by ourselves. And if we're not careful, then the fig tree of our worship is no longer bearing fruit. In fact, it ends up worse than that. It actually withers. It actually dies. And that's why why Jesus wraps up this teaching segment about the fig tree in verse, verse 22 by saying this, have faith in God, because this is where it all starts. Faith in God, which means trusting that he is who he says he is as revealed in the Bible, trusting in his character, trusting in his revelation. And when we know this God, not a God of our own making, but this God who wants sincere worship from everyone in the world, when we are praying to this God and not of our, not a God of our own creation, then verse, then verse um, 23 becomes our experience. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. True worship leads to true prayer. He then says this, therefore I tell you that whatever you ask for in prayer, you know, understanding that we are praying to the right God, you know, the true God, that our hearts are right, therefore I tell you that whatever you ask for in prayer, you believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your, your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. With God out of the picture, the temple merchants were doing whatever they wanted. They were saying to themselves, you know what, do anything to look after yourself, make a quick buck, and it will be yours. But what Jesus says is, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It's a very different way of thinking. It's a very different worldview. And if we're honest... We can be a bit like these temple merchants. Many of us are trying to do transactions with God inst instead of saying, God, you're in charge. It's all yours. 
And so we say things like, okay, God, I'll go to church if you agree to pretend not to see all this other stuff that's going on in my life. Okay, do we have a deal? And so church can become a marketplace, but God cannot, he's never bought off. We, we aren't able to grease his palm. He cannot be bribed. And so what God wants as we move into 2019 is truth in the inner man. He wants truth in the inner woman. He wants truth in the inner teen. He wants truth in the inner child. He wants truth in the temple. Let me tell you quickly about three temples. The first which is Herod's temple, that no longer exists. Less than 40 years later, in AD 70, the Romans came, came into to Jerusalem and they, and they wrecked it all because, because, yeah, the Jews were rising up against them. So they wrecked the, the, the whole city and the temple. This means that this temple no longer existed not long later. This whole system of worship was no more. And then in John's account of the cleansing of the temple, in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says this, if you destroy the temple, I will raise it again in three days. And what we see here is that Jesus is not talking about the mortar and the bricks. He's actually talking about himself as the temple. He's the meeting place now of God and man. Jesus is the place where worship is possible for the nations. He's the house of prayer. Jesus Christ is our means of meeting with Father God. But there's one more temple which is talked about in Scripture. It's not the physical temple. It's not Jesus Christ. It's us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. It says, which says, Do you not know that your, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. This, these bricks and mortar of your heart, this, this temple of your heart is under new management if you are in Christ. And what, what, what we're reading there is absolutely amazing. It says that God lives inside us. He has moved in. And in fact, we aren't able to wrap our minds around it, but, but still we have to try to understand what that means. Because what this means is that the God who met people in the physical temple and who met us through the person of Jesus Christ now meets us right here in our hearts, in our minds, right here. God's presence, if you're in Christ, God's presence is closer than your heartbeat. It's closer than the whoosh of blood through your veins. Because, because his Holy Spirit, who inhabits the lives of those redeemed by Christ, is the very presence of God in our lives. The presence of God is in us. We are the temple of God. And then Paul later, speaking to the church, says this, Don't you know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? And then again in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, Paul says this, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live, them, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It says that he will walk among us. He lives in us. I will live with them and walk among them. And so 
we have to let Jesus in. We have to give him the run of the place. We, we need to give him a, a pass and the freedom to come into our lives and to do an honest assessment of our lives like, like he did in Mark 11, verse 11. And as we look ahead into this new year, we have to say, just like the psalmist did, oh God, would you investigate my life? I, I let you in. Would you find out everything about me? Would you cross-examine me? Would you test me? Would you get a clear picture of what I'm about? See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. All of that is check, look, see, examine. Then, would you guide me on the road to eternal life? But we want him to lead us without us ever letting him in to actually have a look at what's going on inside. And so it's so necessary that, that we invite him in to flip over the tables that have to, have to be flipped over and to upset things in this temple that have to be upset. Because worship means coming to Jesus regularly, not just once a year, but regularly and saying, come in and clean house. So 2018 is ending. 2019 is right around the corner. And so for some of us, this will be the first year of the rest of our lives. For some of us, this will be a year that we will remember forever, whether for good or for bad. And for some of us, this will be our last year on earth. We won't make it to December the 30th, 2019. And that's why we have to invite Jesus in to scour the corners of our lives we need to ask ourselves things like this. What things have you introduced into your life, into, into his holy temple that is stopping true worship from, from taking place? In, in what ways are you treating God's temple as some sort of a convenience, as something that is to be used for your pleasures and your purposes rather than the glorious purposes of God? How are you taking shortcuts in the temple of God and lastly, how are you using his holy temple, your life, as leverage against others? In what way are you bringing other people into bondage and slavery or, or taking advantage of others through God's holy temple, your body? Because the extent to which we are doing any of these things is the extent to which God is not being worshipped in us and through us. And this is the extent to which we need to invite Jesus in to come and do some house cleaning. And the good news is that he's ready. He's already rolled up his sleeves. He already has, you know, the cleaning stuff and the broom. He's excited and he's ready. We don't have to do it ourselves. He, you see, what happens with me is I look at the mess and I get really overwhelmed by it all because it's so huge, it's so messy, but you don't have to worry because that's his job. This is what he does. He comes in and cleans. We just have to let him and he will do it. And so as the worship team comes up, I want to say this to you, is that Jesus is ready to give you an oil change you just have to ask him to. He's ready to clean house. He loves doing this. And he cleans house with grace. And he cleans house with mercy. He doesn't lose it, but he does upset what needs upsetting. We just have to ask him. 
because worship means regularly coming to Jesus and saying, come in and clean house. Oh, 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 oh